Welcome back to The Home Medic. I am Garth Haslam. We're going to be talking today about termites, getting you up to a kindergarten level of knowledge, as always, about termites and ants and what sorts of things that you should know to cover the very basic basics in doing home inspections. This subject and all others, as always, you're going to want to do your own research. And there are a lot of good places to go. One of them is notchi.org. Let's get started. Now, I know where I am. I kind of don't know where you are. So we're going to cover different subjects across the country. Now, depending on where you live, there may be a number of different kinds of termites. For the dry, arid west that I'm in, we only have the subterranean termite. So we'll start there. Let's go that direction. The subterranean is one that lives in the soil. He goes into the house for dinner, and once he has had dinner, which is wet wood, then he's going to go back into the soil, which is where home is. That is different than some of the other sorts of termites, and we're going to cover that later. Now, one of my examples in dealing with subterranean termites, and to illustrate how much they rely on the humidity that is in the soil, and the reason why is that's the only kind of termite that can live in the arid west that I live in. I had a buddy, his wife found out one day that they had termites. She was cleaning the baseboards in the bathroom, and she actually stuck her finger through a rotted part of the baseboard. And it was rotted because inside the shower wall, behind the shower itself, they actually had a drip, drip, drip happen that every time when somebody turned on the shower. Of course, that was the one that was used the most often. So every time it got used, there was a little bit more water added to that shower wall. Over years and months, the termites found that, and they began to be infested with a colony of subterranean termites. When she put her finger through that baseboard molding, Obviously, that was by itself not a good thing, but then she came face-to-face -face with a termite worker, a little uh, grain-of-rice sort of creature with eyes and antenna, and she looked at the worker, and the termite looked at her, and neither of them wanted to see each other. So, as a result, she decided that the reason why they had termites was because my buddy worked too much, so she went out and hired the most expensive termite remediator they could find and she made sure those termites were dead now i got a call before the termite remediator happened and i of course went up there this was interesting to me because i got to go up there and while i was there of course i just had to collect a sample of one of the termites i wanted to have him for my collection and basically to tell stories about this termite i wanted to do a little bit of scientific experimentation as well, I put this termite worker in a old time, and uh, depending on when you listen to this and how old you are, you may not even know what this is, but it's a, it was a film canister. Basically, it was about a little bit more than an inch high and was a cylinder that, let's say it's, I don't know, maybe most of an inch wide. And that was back in the day when you used to take pictures and then put your film in the canister, take it to the store, wait, and then you'd get pictures later on. Not like it happens today. So this happened a number of years ago. But anyway, I took a sample of this termite, drove home, and it was about a half hour drive. 
By the time I got home, you know, this thing rolled around a little bit in the truck. I figured this was probably, you know, the termite probably wasn't having a good day because he was getting rolled. But I got home and I looked at this termite worker and he was dead. And not only was he dead, but he was about a third of his original size. The reason why he had dropped so much size is the humidity just wasn't there in the film canister, and he had dried out to death. He had desiccated to his death. That was a big thing for me because it showed me how much these subterranean termites, and for that matter, all termites, need water. Now, maybe you live in Florida or Texas or Hawaii, and the air is moist enough by itself that it can keep a termite going. You know, if that's the case, then that's what you've got to inspect for. You've got a totally different ballgame than some of the rest of us. Texas versus North Dakota, Iowa versus New Mexico. You definitely have different circumstances. As always, you don't want to do your own homework. So that is the subterranean. It lives in the soil. They're going to go through tunnels in the soil until they get into the house. And then in order to preserve that humidity inside the house, they're going to build mud tunnels. So the mud tubes are one of the inspection points that you can look for that will help you to identify subterranean termites. It can be kind of fun watching them go because quite often they'll get going, maybe they'll be running up an old chimney stack Maybe it's rock, and they'll be going up around rocks, and then they'll just kind of go out into the air, realize that that's a pathway to nowhere, and then they'll block off that pathway, and then they'll go somewhere else. And so you get this meandering tube that is kind of cool to look at. You know, if you're as sick and twisted as I am, it can look like artwork, but that's termites for you. Or maybe that's just me showing what a psychopath I am. I don't know. Probably both. Okay, next, I'm going to cover the dry wood termites. Now, those are less cold tolerant, and they're only going to live in the southern United States, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, etc. They don't do well with the cold temperatures that we have in, for example, the areas that I live. Those are going to be termites that actually live in the wood that they eat, Yeah, they're also, of course, going to be relying on the natural humidity in those highly humid environments. You know, they don't have to have water added to their dinner like some of the rest of the subterranean termites. They're just going to be there. Then you have damp wood termites. Now, these can be a much larger body. They can actually be up to about an inch long. They're going to live in the damp wood that is physically on the soil. Of course, all Termites can survive quite nicely on, for example, roots or other stuff that's down in the soil, but the damp wood termite can actually live in wood that is on the soil. These are found along the west coast, anywhere between Arizona and south Florida. You can find these sorts of termites. So termites, you know, the big picture is they are looking for wet wood, and Wet either because in the arid areas, the wood will be wet because maybe there's a leaking shower wall, maybe there is a rain gutter downspout that isn't forcing water away from the house, maybe there's a sprinkler system that's spraying the house. Whatever the water source is, they're looking for that. And their job, they actually have a job. There's a reason they were placed here on Earth. They are 
there to turn wood into soil. Another way to say that is they feed on detritus, which basically is the same thing. You know, once a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, then the next thing that happens is maybe the termites hear it and they go eat that tree and turn that back into soil. That's their job. The thing is, and you know, that's okay if they do that up in the forest, but the thing is that nobody wants a termite to turn their house into soil. That would be a much different sort of an issue. So termites are going to be in the vicinity. They certainly have certain areas where they're more likely to happen. Even in the area where I do inspections, for example, termites are a rarity. There actually are certain people who are not home inspectors, just uh, homeowners. When I tell them that there's termites, they act surprised because they don't think there's any termites in the state. And, you know, I have to disabuse them of such a concept, but they're surprised. Now, if you go to a place like Hawaii, then termites just are, and you just got to treat regularly from what I understand. So they're looking for wet wood, and wherever they find that, they're going to work on that, feed that back into soil. Some background for you on termites. They actually have a caste system, meaning there are different layers and levels and types of termites within a single colony. You've got a king, you've got a queen, and then you have what's called nymphs or backup reproductives. Apparently the king has more than one choice that he can use for getting the colony up to speed. Then you have soldiers and workers. It's interesting because some soldiers actually can't eat for themselves. They have to be fed because their mandibles are too large. Why is this important? Because as the home inspector, you've got to have a little bit more knowledge than the person that you're talking to. You've got to show that you understand a little bit more than they do, just so that you can understand or help them understand, well, if nothing else, that you're up to speed on things. So you got the king, you got the queen, you got the nymphs, you got the soldiers, you got the workers. Another thing you can mention is that in many cases, termites are born without the ability to digest wood. In the right sort of circumstances, you can mention that a termite baby actually has to eat somebody else's feces so that they can get the enzymes needed to digest wood. In the right environment, sometimes it it can be helpful to mention that sort of thing. It helps them to understand that you go at least more than an inch deep on the subject of termites. Okay, then, I want to cover Formosan termites. They are actually a subset of subterranean. We talked about those first. They are found across the south and in Hawaii, and uh, they are a much more difficult termite to deal with. You know, for the subterranean, for example, the remediation is simply to basically to drill holes around the perimeter of the house. You insert poisons in there at uh, certain intervals, and that basically creates a curtain. What you know with subterranean termites is that, again, they're going to go into the house for dinner, then they're going to come back out of the house to go back into the colony. So if you can create this poison curtain, you're going to kill the termites. So that makes it a lot easier to remediate a subterranean termite issue. By contrast, if you've got a dry wood or a damp wood termite, they can actually live in the house and they'll stay there. So you can't just do the curtain because they may not ever pass through that curtain. They're, they're staying inside the home. For those sorts of issues, you've got to actually tent the house and then kill what's in the house. 
different remediation methods for different types of termites. Don't get caught flat-footed on that one. Again, depending on where you live, you're going to want to do your homework. So, how to address termite issues. First thing to do, especially for drier areas where you only have subterraneans, is to repair leaks. Obviously, a leaking sink or shower or tub or roof, whatever it is, is going to cause moisture. And regardless of what kind of termite it is, they're all going to be looking forward to chewing on that wood that's a little bit more wet. You want to make sure as you're doing your inspection, you're looking for those leaks and identifying those as being not only a rotten mold sort of a thing, but termites as well. So another one of the things you're going to want to be looking for in addition to leak repairs and keeping water away from the foundation and getting the gutters and downspouts clean and drawn away from the house is you're going to want to remove the excess cover and mulch that is near the house. Now going back to the story that I told you where my buddy had termites inside his shower wall, what had happened and the reason why they were getting near his home in the first place is that he had a basement back door where they actually had the washer and dryer piled up against the inside of the basement back door. So that basement back door never got opened. As a result, it rarely got cleaned, and you had a pile of leaves that built up against that basement back door. Then you add to the uh, mix a sprinkler system, and now you got a problem. So what's going on there? The colony swarms, the new queen goes and uh, finds a new place to live. She runs into my buddy's basement back door and sees all the things she's looking for. Here's all this pile of leaves and wet debris that's going to be wet for the long term. She gets started there, and then as she moves into my buddy's house, she smells that wet wood from the basement back door. And presto, we go from one termite queen, fresh off the press, to one million termites in the colony chewing my buddy's house down. So this is uh, something that as the home inspector you're going to be wanting to pay attention to, is if there is a lot of cover and mulch next to the house, whether that be ivy, whether it be bushes, whether it's leaves that are blowing against the house, You'll want to make sure that the client knows that that is very much a welcome mat for termites and that they should disinvite the termites by keeping the cover and the mulch well away from the structure. In addition, you're going to want to make sure there's no standing water on the roof or pretty much any other place in and around the structure. If you've got standing water, it's only going to do bad things. Standing water that almost drains off of the roof you and I know that it's only going to go one place, and that's straight down into the structure where, again, rot mold termites. If you have standing water on the roof, that needs to make your report. Next thing I want to cover in how to address termite issues or preventive maintenance is keeping the vents clear. And there are a number of different kinds of vents that apply here, but especially in crawl spaces. If the vents are shut, maybe they're blocked up with cotton or they're blocked up with dirt or who knows what it is, if that crawl space cannot vent, you're going to have more humidity and water in the crawl space than you're going to want. Then the place becomes a lot more conducive to termites, rot mold, etc., spiders. That's one of the reasons why you want to make sure that a crawl space actually has vents and that they're in good condition. 
either of those conditions are not happening, it needs to hit your report and you need to be very clear with your client. That is not a condition that they want to accept. Let me dump a couple of stories on you. You want to remove the food sources for termites. Obviously, you know, all of nature, they're fairly simple creatures regardless of what it is. Nature is looking for food and shelter. And so to the extent that you provide or remove those sorts of things, you're going to affect how much nature is in whatever the environment is. So if you're talking about a house, you're going to want to remove you know, the food sources. That's going to be firewood. Maybe that's stored outside the house. Maybe it's stored inside the house. Maybe you start with a whole bunch of firewood, which is uh, wood-to-soil contact. And that's something that even the subterraneans can deal with because the bottom side is going to be wet. They can live in the soil, but they're going to come up into that firewood for dinner. And then they'll go back down to the soil. Or you could have the dry wood or the damp wood termites. They're all going to appreciate that direct wood-to-soil contact and start that colony. And then when you've got this firewood sitting on the ground as the homeowner, in addition to having the firewood, you've also got all these termites. This is the kind of thing you're going to want to be paying attention to, writing up, making sure that the client is well aware of the risks and hazards associated with just storing random firewood directly on the soil. Then, of course, you can imagine the next step. You've got 1,000 termites that are actually inside a piece of firewood. Now, Joe, a homeowner grabs that, and he's bringing that piece of firewood in. You can imagine that he stacks it next to the fire, because it's never going to happen that Joe Homeowner actually brings it in and puts every single piece directly on the fire immediately. So now he's introduced termites to the interior of the house where they're going to go cause havoc. Similarly, in addition to firewood, you've got stumps. And regardless of where we all are in the United States, every part of the United States has yards and yards have trees. And at minimum, there will be stumps as people grow trees and then cut them down. It becomes the job of termites, again, to turn those stumps and the dead wood back into soil. That's their job. And to some extent, that's acceptable and allowable. There's really not much that a homeowner can do to get all of the roots out of the soil. It's just too much work. So to some extent, you allow that, but you want to keep that on the exterior of the house. You don't want them turning again. You don't want them turning the house into soil. Similarly, you're going to be looking at decks and fences if you got wood-to-soil contact. Now, ideally, you're going to have the structural components of any deck on concrete or on some material that is not organic and not something that the termite can eat. There are materials that are treated And theoretically, the termites can't eat those, but the reality is wood-to-soil contact is just a problem. You know, yes, the treated wood is going to age and rot less rapidly, but it's still going to age and rot. So while it may be less of a priority for you as you write something like that up into your report, you still want to write up the wood-to-soil contact. Just make sure that even if it is treated wood-to-soil contact, you still want to cover your tail and make sure that the client knows that you saw it, even if you think it's less of an issue. 
Okay, a couple of stories that I want to unload on you just to give you some of my personal experiences uh, that I've gained over the many years. I was called out to a home. This one was a little older. I'm going to say it was probably built in the mid-1950s. And what had happened, I'm going to cut to the chase here, but what had happened is the gable vent on both sides of the house. They had just masonry, and that big open vent had inch and a half wide or two inch wide gaps that was unscreened. So as a result, you had birds that had found that they could get through there. And then they uh, they brought in a bunch of nesting materials and they made this massive bird condo. There was at least a couple hundred birds that were nesting on one side of the structure and probably another about half of that on the other side. So you had all these birds going in there and they were all peeing and I didn't know that when I was hired originally but as I went to this house they had actually called me and they said we think we have a mold problem and we might have termites. So what I did and one of the ways to identify termites um, they will be especially the subterranean ones like I say they're looking for wet wood or something that's wet that used to be wood And on sheetrock, that is the paper located between the gypsum and the paint. So when that gets wet, the termites can not only eat that, but they can use that for their tube as well. Works out very nicely for them. So what I was doing is I was running my fingers along this wall to see if I could identify the depression where the termites were. Sure enough, I found a few depressions. And it was interesting because as I ran my finger along there, I would squash a termite or two, and you could actually hear them squeal. It was quite audible to listen to those workers squeal. So at this point, I knew we had termites, and I knew that we had an active colony. The next question is, why do we have an active colony? What's the water source? Why is this wall wet? And that's when I went up to the roof. I didn't find anything there. We didn't have any plumbing issues. The roof wasn't leaking. So I went up into the attic, and that's when I saw that we had all these birds going. It was the bird urine that was keeping the wall wet enough to support a termite colony. Uh, These termites, of course, being subterranean. So lessons learned there is it's not just a leak that can support a termite colony. You're going to want to be paying attention. Now, another related story on this one, of course, is I got my head up there, and you've got all these birds. Last thing I wanted to do, even with a little bit of protective equipment, was to go up there and start being perceived by 200 birds as attacking their nest. I didn't need to play that part in the horror film, so I took a few pictures from the attic hatch, and then I called in reinforcements, somebody else, to actually deal with the bird removal. That's not your job. You're the home inspector. Again, you're expected to know all things about all things, but that's all you're expected to do, you know, is to know. You are not expected to do, especially if the doing is unsafe. And in that particular case, the doing was very much unsafe. Imagine being attacked by a couple hundred birds in an attic. It's not going to end well. So I poked my head in, and that's as far as I went. So, yeah, lessons learned there. You can actually get a termite worker to squeal when he's being bugged. That's uh, that. That's one thing. But the other is that as you do run your, your fingers along the wall, you'll be able to feel where they are. Sometimes you can get that squeal, and then that, of course, is a dead giveaway. 
I did another home, and based on my experience, most of the termite problems come in older homes. They were built not as well. The newer homes generally have foundations that come up a couple of feet, and that makes the home a lot more termite resistant. But in this particular case, the brand new home, which was built to standards, was placed in what used to be an orchard. This whole, the whole city, I guess, 30 years previous had been an orchard, and this area was the northeast corner of that city. The trees that used to be the peach or apple or cherry orchard had been recently cut down. Recently, I mean within the last five years or so. And so now the termites are heavily in this area because they are chewing on all of the root systems that used to be orchard. So now you've got that scenario painted in your head. Now we build a brand new home on this, one that should be termite resistant. It turns out it wasn't termite resistant enough. What had happened is a dormer window had a roofing problem where water was getting around and into the dormer window. Then it was flowing down the living room wall directly beneath on the main level. And that living room wall being wet now became another place for termites to have dinner. So that became an issue for a home buyer as well. He called me out. And of course, I at that point, I was able to see all of the many termite mud tube pathways that had occurred on the back side of this sheetrock. And the issue there was, uh, again, the primary thing is, yes, we have termites, and yes, we should probably kill them, but the more important thing is, why do we have termites here? And then with a little bit of an investigation, we were able to find that we had that leaking dormer window. Again, the point out here is not, oh no, we have termites, kill them. It's, oh no, we have termites, why are they here? Then you can eliminate the root cause and provide a much better service than just killing termites so that they can start again next week. Another one of the homes that I saw that was bad, the entire basement was just riddled with termites. And what they had done is they had built this home originally, I'm going to say back in about 1908, and then Grandpa decided that he wanted a basement. So... He actually digs this basement out by hand using shovels and buckets. And then once he thinks he's done and he's got his, it wasn't an eight-foot basement, but it was probably seven. Once he thinks that he's ready to actually create rooms, he builds these stud walls and does the partition. Then with the partitions in place, he pours concrete. The problem is that he did this backwards, and you might have already picked that up. If you do the framed wall first, you've got that direct contact between wood and soil, and the termites had a heyday. By the time I got into this home, you could see where the walls had been taken out, but what little bits remained of the wall was being chewed up right and left by termites. To say that termite colony was in the millions was probably an understatement. Everything had been badly chewed. So... Again, this is one of your inspection points as you're getting into crawl spaces or basements is that if we have any wood-to-soil contact, especially if it was Grandpa construction where Grandpa did his job right directly on the soil, uh, you can pretty much guarantee, regardless of what part of the country you're in, that there will be termites there. 
maybe who knows maybe you're in canada and it's just too cold for termites if so again that's a regional thing for you for the rest of us pretty much what i tell people is that if you invite them in they'll be there so the invitations are basically to have the woody debris near the house a water source and that's pretty much all they need have the conditions on the exterior how they need them and then just provide a little bit more water on the inside and they'll start chewing on the innards so that's my studs on the soil story then i've got another one and i've seen this a couple of times where we have again older homes and maybe they were built on railroad ties as the foundation maybe they were built on whatever but it's not always concrete that they used for foundation material then as part of that construction you'll have grandpa joe who adds wood for whatever reason and i see this mostly in the farming areas and and homes that were built around you know 1920 1905 1930 those sorts of years and what has happened is that as you walk into these homes the center of the home will be much higher you know two to three inches higher and it will be a very noticeable difference that the floor drops as you get to the perimeter what is often happening there is that the termites have eaten enough of the structure for long enough that the outer perimeter, as it gets chewed away, it settles. The middle doesn't have the weight on it, so it stays pretty much in place. The outside settles. So if you wander into one of these homes, it's an old structure, and usually you can't see what's going on there. Just based on experience, usually you can tell these guys, like, the reason why this has settled as much as it has it may not just be simple settlement it may actually be that the settlement was enhanced because what used to be structural wood has now been digested by a million termites so have that in your tool belt so that you've got that available when you need it signs of termites is going to include swarms of winged insects maybe you've got cracked or bubbling paint like i mentioned you can run your hand over an area on sheetrock and see if the paint is bubbled etc if you got hollow wood that certainly is a sign mud tubes are an obvious sign of subterranean termites if you got discarded wings that means that they may have swarmed and been gone and who knows where they are now but if there's water inside the house they'll be in the house. Also, you're going to want to look for termite droppings, also known as frass. That is a very fine dropping. Usually it's a brown to black. You can imagine you've got the termite that is the size of anywhere from three-eighths of an inch for subterraneans up to a full inch for the damp wood. You can imagine the size of the frass, and there will be plenty of it. Early on in my career, I was trying to get a broker to do business with me so i went to his house and he was talking to me it was that sort of an environment back in the day and he had this question that he thought was a gotcha question for me he says how do you tell the difference between termites and rot dry rot and one of the differences is that termites are going to leave frass that poop dry rot obviously doesn't leave poop so that's one of the ways to determine that 
Also, dry rot is going to be at the end of a board where it was wet and then dried, whereas termites are going to be more throughout, and they're going to actually eat the wood. That's how you basically tell the difference. Again, stuff you want to put under your belt so that you have it available when you need it. And you're going to want to do your own homework on this. Look up dry rot and then look up termite damage so that you can get a visual on that and make sure you've got that. You're going to look bad, you know, if you call dry rot termite damage or vice versa. May not be a career ender for you overall, but it will be a career ender as far as that realtor is concerned. So, you know, that sort of knowledge, again, it could be the difference between a realtor that's worth tens of thousands of dollars to you lifetime versus a realtor that uses somebody else. Okay, frass. So those are the signs that you want to look for as part of the termite inspection. Now, I briefly want to hit ants as well. difference between carpenter ants and termites are that carpenter ants live in the wood, and your termites are going to go in there for breakfast and lunch and dinner. So obviously the carpenter ants look much different. The termites are going to be looking much like a grain of rice, where the carpenter ants look more like ants. They've got a head, thorax, and abdomen, where the termites are going to be usually whitish, and like I say, they look kind of like a grain of rice with eyes. At least the workers will. Your queen is going to look a bit different, but chance of you actually running into the queen are kind of thin. Also, you've got house ants. They're just a nuisance. You know, they're not going to cause severe structural damage. They're just going to be annoying. Uh, you got a couple of different kinds of house ants. There's the kind that like sugars. There's the kind that like greases. These are not necessarily inspection points because they're not going to be affecting the structure. You know, they're not really doing anything bad to the house, but they are an indication that something bad might be happening. From my own experience, I was a kid, 10-ish or so, and I noticed that there was one bathroom, and we had two bathrooms that backed up against each other. There was one bathroom that always had these little, we called them sugar ants. And I tried killing them, and I thought I was being the hero, and I figured after I killed a few hundred ants that the ant colony would die because I was such a mad ant killer. Turned out it didn't make a difference. And I tried, you know, poisoning, etc., and the experiments ran wild. But I didn't really affect the colony. And it turned out that the reason why those ants were there, you know, it wasn't because they were looking for food. Usually when you've got a critter, they're looking for food. These ants were getting their food elsewhere, but the reason why they were concentrated in this particular location is, again, there was a leak in the shower wall behind this bathroom, And they were getting water from that leak, and that was keeping the colony alive. And it was a reason why all these ants wanted to be in this environment is because that moisture was something they needed. Again, food and shelter, and the house provided both for them. They had to work maybe a little harder for the food, but the water was easy and the shelter was easy. So we had house ants. My dad fixed that problem one day when he realized the shower wall was leaking, and he took care of that, and then the ants went away. After a hundred other different varieties of attempts to make the ants go away, simply fixing what should have been fixed became the ultimate solution. 
This is a place I'd like you to go as you're talking to your clients as well. You know, if we have ants, if we have termites, if we have mice, if we have mold, question is not let's, you know, this is a problem, let's remediate it. It's the first question should be always, why do we have this problem? And then once you've eliminated the why, then in many cases the problem will take care of itself or at very least, uh, once you've eliminated the why, then you may just have some aesthetic damage to clean up after the fact. This is a lot different and better approach than saying, oh, you've got termites, you need to call a termite exterminator and walk away. That does not serve your client. It serves the exterminator, but it does not serve your client. Okay, so we have talked about termites, we've talked about ants, we've talked about the difference between them. Under the termite category, we've mentioned that what they're looking for is wet wood. And to the extent that there is wet wood inside the home, that's where they're going to go. We've talked about the different kinds of termites, the damp wood, the dry wood, the subterranean, and the Formosan termites, which, as I mentioned, was a subset of the subterranean. We've talked about how to address termite issues to repair the leaks and basically get water away, keeping vents clear, and signs and stories of and experiences of termites, basically looking for those for the hollow wood, for the mud tubes, the discarded wings, etc., especially looking for the frass. You run into that kind of stuff, you've got termites or you have a termite history. The difference, again, unless you can see where and how the homeowner has eliminated the root cause, you don't have a termite history, you have termites or whatever the pest may be. Okay, that's my kindergarten-level training that I have for you on termites and ants. By all means, do your own homework. org, awesome place. Make sure you're up to speed on your termites, regardless of where you are. Go out there, take care of your clients. Make me proud. <laughs>